Hey there, it's Gary Barish. It's Wednesday, August 8, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me, and as he wrote earlier today, CBS Sports, the NCAA has announced widespread sweeping changes to college basketball's bylaws, its recruiting calendar, and in an evolutionary step forward, new legislation that gives more entitlements to student athletes. And I guess, Norlander, I'll just let you take it from there. For the folks who haven't read yet what happened today, what are these widespread sweeping changes? I'm going to try and be as streamlined with this as possible, Parrish, because we got a lot to get to and not a lot of time to do it. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, by the way. So here, here's what happened in the most broad way I can put it. FBI story breaks last year. Mark Emmert says, we can't have this. I'm going to form a commission. He forms a commission led by Condoleezza Rice. If you're a loyal podcast listener, thank you for that. And obviously, we've covered this ad nauseum. So Wednesday represented the first actual legislative change as a result of the FBI's ongoing case, the Department of Justice's ongoing case um, in that matter. And so what we have here is an update to the recruiting calendar, an update to recruiting rules, an update to how the NCAA will seek to punish those who break the rules and update to how the NCAA will hold other people accountable that haven't been held accountable in years past and an update and a step forward in giving prospective uh, college athletes and prospective NBA players a little bit more freedom as to what they want to do and how they want to do it. Now, within those details, there's a lot that can be picked apart, a lot that can be criticized. My phone is blowing up with coaches who are still frustrated, angry, and skeptical of a lot of this stuff. Um, in regard to recruiting changes, uh, we had a story up last week on CBSSports.com that detailed exactly what wound up happening. Uh, July, the first period is going to stay, which means Peach Jam has been saved. Parrish will take credit for that from now until the end of his time on Earth. But it won't just it won't just be Peach Jam. It will be any kind of event that's non-scholastic that wants to be held in that period. Coaches can attend it. I personally expect Adidas and Under Armour to bump up their tournaments and their championships right alongside the Peach Jam. So what you will have is a crunch in that weekend. Could be good, could be bad. Um, the second weekend is gone. The last weekend in July will now be... A joint effort between the NCAA, NBA, NBA Players Association, and USA Basketball to hold elite camps. We don't really know how those camps are going to be formed, going to be run. They're going to try and get anywhere from 2,200 to 2,500 of the top high school players in the country to attend those. Sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school will be eligible. Freshmen will not. There's more stuff with the recruiting stuff, but Parrish will link this in the podcast post on the site. I have it on my Twitter feed. If you want to see the details about the recruiting stuff, which to coaches means so much, that's all been detailed on the site uh, in advance to all this. Some other big stuff, though. Players now have the ability to return to college basketball if they go undrafted, which makes for a nice headline. But here's the reality of it, is that if you get to the point where you could go back and you go undrafted, you have to have had an NBA Combine invite to essentially apply for that possibility. And there's some other stuff that goes into it. But realistically, if players take advantage of this, it's going to be very few. I'm talking one, two, three tops a year, if even that. Uh, NCAA said that they did research on this and found that not many players in that position really would opt to return to college basketball to begin with. So it's a rule that it's good that it's there, but at the same point, Why'd you even do it to begin with? Because there's not going to be a lot of players that take advantage of it. Also, players can establish relationships 
formally with agents when they are deemed uh, and identified as an elite prospect. And I'm trying not to ramble here, Paris, but there's so much. And this is problematic as well because who is going to label these prospects as elite? Well, apparently it's going to be USA Basketball with some um, work in conjunction with the NCAA, I guess. But as many people have pointed out, there are players that could end up being elite that aren't uh, wanting to play with USA Basketball or come from outside the United States. So what's going to be the protocol for how those players are going to be identified? And more, more than that, why are you limiting the pool to begin with? It is problematic in my opinion. Uh, Parrish is going to get into that as well. A couple other things real quick. College presidents, chancellors, they're now going to be on the hook in theory, I have my skepticism with this, but in theory, the way that head coaches are responsible for what happens with their assistant coaches, the NCAA says that presidents and chancellors are now going to be held responsible for any wrongdoing that happens within their athletic departments. I can't see a scenario outside of what happens at a Penn State and a Baylor, and I'm not even convinced that in Ohio State, which is an ongoing issue with Urban Meyer, that you're going to see presidents at schools lose their jobs on account of this new NCAA legislation. Maybe we look up in a decade and it actually has made some sort of big kind of impact. And then the other thing is the NCAA is amending its language. It does not have true subpoena power, which has been a big issue in the FBI case. It's amending its language to basically say, if you're going to work on an NCAA institution, uh, no matter what, you will have to abide by our... Our rules and regulations, our investigation process, um, even after removed. Because if not, you stand to have a potential lifetime show cause, never be hired again at an NCAA institution. So there's more enforcement being put in. There's even more than all this stuff. But I've, I've, st I've sort of hit on all this. And the, the one last thing I'll say, Paris, before I hand it over to you and you can run with it. All of this was done, not just in reaction to the FBI story, but it was done in an earnest attempt to try and update the NCAA model. Obviously, it fell well short in many areas, but it was done to do that to give players a little more power. Well-intentioned. There are some good things here and there that I like, but there's a lot of stuff that didn't go far enough. There's stuff that never even got approved that coaches wanted to get approved that didn't get, uh, that didn't get to that stage overall. So it makes for a lot of interesting headlines. I think there's a ton for us to discuss, not just on this podcast, Parish, but going forward on our next one and to see how these changes get implemented. Uh, but overall... What's your reaction to what's been put forth here, the rule changes, many of which are effective immediately? Uh, I'll start big picture and then, and then break it down uh, change by change, uh, at least the ones that are getting the most attention. Big picture, uh, they're just not very good at this. You know, it, it, it was done largely, as you pointed out accurately, um, as a reaction to the FBI investigation. And if I had Condoleezza Rice or anybody else connected to this in front of me right now, I would ask the question, how does any of the how do any of these changes actually eliminate or even uh, minimize the things that the FBI investigation actually exposed? The FBI investigation exposed money people paying other people to gain influence over prospects what what was announced today that's going to put a dent into that it exposed shoe companies uh paying families to influence where you know five-star prospect goes to school what announced today is going to put a dent in that like uh, if you go back and actually look at 
who was arrested in the FBI investigation, why they were arrested, and what they allegedly did. There's nothing announced today that limits that in any way. And yes, I recognize that there are going to be harsher penalties, but you tell me about the era when harsher penalties put a dent in cheating, and I'll tell you that you're making it up. It's ne- Harsher penalties have never actually worked, and so I'd be shocked if they worked this time. Um, it, it just doesn't they set out to fix issues and they really didn't fix any issues with these changes. That said, it's not all bad. It's not all completely useless. Um, I do think that it's better than the alternative to allow undrafted uh, prospects to return to school if they want and follow proper protocol. But I will say, why limit it to only undrafted players who were actually invited to the combine like what is the point of that it just decreases the the possible pool of players and then the other thing is and correct me if i'm wrong on this but i believe i read it the deadline to do so like let's say you're in the nba draft you went to the combine you stayed in the draft you get to draft night your dreams are smashed you did not get selected um now you have until monday at five o'clock so basically, four days later, correct, three, three and a half days later, to make a decision. Well, what immediately happens to good college players who go undrafted on draft night? Like guys who are good enough to go to the combine, good, good enough to go through the draft process, but then for whatever reason, we're not drafted. Those guys are always going to get summer league invitations, always, without exception. And so their pro dreams aren't actually over. And so there's still, like, for every kid who will take advantage of this, which I think is a small number, uh, there's going to be three more who say, well, the Utah Jazz just invited me to Summer League, or the LA Clippers just invited me to Summer League. And, like, all I got to do is just get on the court and give me a chance. And if you put the date before Summer League even happens, which is where it's at, then they're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to keep pursuing my dream. Beyond that, there's going to be people out there accurately telling them, listen, um, you can go back to school if you want, but I can still get you a G League job. I can still get you an overseas job. There will still be professional opportunities for literally every student athlete who qualifies to go back to school if they follow protocol and choose to. And so I don't think this actually affects a large number of student athletes, maybe a few a year. But it's it, it's a nice headline for dumb people who don't understand the details. Similarly... The ability for elite high school students and prospects to now be able to have agents, um, if if they're if they want, is a nice headline. So the, because the headline is NCAA to allow prospects to have agents for first time in history. Uh, again, nice headline. Technically, you technically true, but. Technically true, but, um, and here's the but. First off, you have to be identified as elite by USA Basketball. As many people have already pointed out, some of the best basketball prospects in the sport uh, aren't connected to USA Basketball. They're not even Americans. The number one player in the class of 2018, R.J. Barrett, would qualify. What do we do with him? Secondly, why limit it to people USA Basketball calls elite? How about just allow anybody who wants an agent and who um, is wanted by an agent to, to have that relationship however they see fit. But even if you do get the agent and the agent can offer guidance and you know advise you, the agent's not allowed to, to do the things that agents typically do. 
which is like front you money, uh, which is like, um, you know, uh, provide you a, a lifestyle that makes you feel like, oh, wow, I signed with the right agent here. I've got the right agent here. And again, to circle back to the FBI investigation, uh, the problem is not nobody got indicted for talking to student athletes or advising student athletes. The reason Andy Miller got in trouble and people like uh, working for Andy Miller got in trouble is because they were paying prospects in an obvious attempt to secure their services later. Well, how does this stop that? Because that's still not allowed, but it's still something that's gone on forever. And so it'll still be something that goes on forever. So yes, the NCAA is allowing basketball prospects to have agents for the first time, but it doesn't mean anything. And if you declare for the NBA draft, then you can get that uh, relationship with the agent. It's got to be in in written documentation. But if you decide to go back to school, you have to end that relationship immediately. <laughs> what? Like what? You think that's going to happen? Come on. So like what? So like to quote myself, what are we even talking about here? Like it, it, it like I, I with every single thing they suggested, I can point out the obvious flaws and then bottom line it with it really doesn't fix a problem in the sport. Please, Norlander. And I mean this sincerely. If I'm wrong, tell me why. No, yeah, let's let's get into this because I don't. I would love to tell you you're wrong, but I don't see how that's the case here. I see a situation laid out by the NCAA that advances the game in some positive ways. In some ways, it's just going to be spinning wheels. The whole agent thing is ridiculous. They should have taken this to its natural endpoint, an endpoint that I think we'll get to. Um, in the next five to ten years, you cannot ask elite prospects to only have a relationship in which they're allowed, quote, minimal expenses. Was that a dinner? Like, it's already a vague definition that will obviously be violated. And I don't even like the term violated because what are we talking about here? And then if they don't wind up going pro, they have to put that relationship on hold. It's obviously not going to happen like that. It doesn't happen like that to begin with. And my expectation, Parrish, is that in regard to the agent thing, you're only going to enable more players to chase these kinds of relationships. And with that, you're going to give agents more power. And this is something the coaches fear, is that when it comes to recruiting these guys, um, agents might even feel more empowered. And the whole nature of trying to get guys who are on the level of being NBA players, uh, it will be even more politicking from coaches and kind of dodging landmines here and there and kind of feeling like the player and all the influences around that player, uh, it, they get carted to grasp from a coach's perspective. If I'm trying to recruit a kid or keep a kid on my team uh, for one reason or another, I'm not. No, I'm no longer just fighting with potentially his parents or potentially his AAU coach. Now it could be potentially really, in a formal way, uh, battling with an agent. And then, um, even though high school coaches aren't going to get back into the fold to the level that I think the NCAA hopes that they will, the NCAA is, is also pushing forth the idea of high school camps at the end of June. And when you are doing that, you are going to make the process, I just, I think, a little more... Stressful for coaches. Stress brings on ways to alleviate that. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't help uh, the lifestyle of these coaches. A lot of them. One of their biggest complaints was, "You're taking us away from our families more." That's great. We can go to the NBA. Well, I, I actually had a coach, you know, text me when this was proposed, and he said, "When am I supposed to have a life?" Yeah. Oh yeah. You forget know, it. Yeah. I got a wife. I've got kids. When am I supposed to be a dad? When am I supposed to be a husband? Because they have set this calendar up in a way. Where and 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 as I told the coach and he he you know agreed 
hey, listen, you're a millionaire. You know, like you are being well compensated to complicate your life. But the the larger point remains the same. Um, you know, it is it is very difficult now for a college coach, and I'll let you continue, mm-hmm. to recruit at the highest level of the sport to really do his job the way he's being paid millions of dollars to do his job and also not sacrifice some real stuff at home. And these guys, any of them you you talk to, outside of maybe Mark Few, will tell you that they it, it they, they make a choice every day. Do I want to be great at my job today or do I want to be great at my house today? Do I want to be great? It's, it's, a, it's a hard juggle. And honestly, it can be a hard juggle for people like me, people like you. But it's especially a hard juggle for those guys, and that's it's a it's a more difficult juggle going forward based on what was announced today. Absolutely, you're going to allow in-home visits now in April. The number of recruiting days is going up. So if you're a fan of a school, you're you're the team you root for. That staff has 130 days they're allowed to go on the road. But now you're going to be able to go out in April. The uh, NBA PA Top 100 camp, I presume, is part of that 130 days. And if it's if it's not, then well, then it's even more days there that you have to leave home in general. Um, so that's something to be taken. Also, in. also you get more official visits now, which you, means you, you spend do. more weekends a year hosting 17-year-olds. You do. And I, I got conflicting information on this because the tweets were sent out that it was, it was going from 5 to 15. Then I was told by a few people that would know that it's actually going from 5 to 10. Um, and it's going from 24 to 28 that a school can have for kids to come on campus over the course of a two-year rolling period. So it's going up, but it's not going up as much. Like I had uh, a number of guys reach out and be like, this is an absolute nightmare because they they don't like official visits other than, okay, this is our chance. It's basically a kid comes on campus, the school pays for everything with him and his family. It's the only time you can do it. You give them the, the, the roll the red carpet out, just do it up, and it can really land you a, a coveted recruit if you do it right. But at the same time, Think about the stress that goes into throwing a huge party or putting on or anything of that sort, right? It's just it's it's great, think, but all the stuff of, that comes with it is yeah. just almost not worth it, right? And you think, have to think about think about what it would be like if you had friends from out of town coming in town for the weekend. They were going to arrive on Friday afternoon, and it was your job to entertain them till Sunday afternoon, and you had to do that fifteen times a year. Coaches dread this stuff. And it's they. This rule was put into place, from what I understand, Parrish, because they wanted to cut down on kids taking so many unofficial visits. They wanted to do that in part because, you know, within the business, the unofficial visit thing. You know, coaches are rightfully skeptical, and in my opinion, accurate in that there are recruits in a given year that are afforded so many unofficial visits, many of which. Are include plane rides to far off places, and who is paying for these things? Okay, and right. I mean, it's often impoverished families bouncing around the country, theoretically on their own dime. Theoretically, but in reality, almost in reality, almost never. How many? How many families do you know who could afford to take four vacations a year? Right. With flight, not many, and yet basketball prospects do it all the time. Yes, and so the idea for this is to say, okay, we're going to allow these prospects to come and visit officially. So it is a benefit to the player, but again, in reality, when you actually lay out, like, does a player need to take two official visits to a school because he's going to be allowed to do that? There are absolutely going to be players that take advantage of this. Um, 
One, because they just want the trip. Uh, but two, maybe they, they feel they're going to need a second official visit. Um, coaches love to gripe about a lot of stuff. Some of it's funny. Some of it uh, is legitimate. And this one, I just know we're going to look up in three years, and they're going to be like, kill me now. I've got my fifth official visit in, in four weeks. And we're in, we know we're not getting this kid. We know we're not getting him, but he's coming to take an official, and we can't not take him. So that's, again, a little inside the sport there. But this is, uh, this is a lot of the stuff that got a, a lot of blowback from coaches. And then one other thing, Paris, I wanted to bring up on the podcast here I, 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 in, in terms of how we got here. So an interesting twist to all this is a lot of the stuff that came out on Wednesday was always going to come out. Um, the stuff about um, – you know, giving in-home visits, I think, was a late change. And July got switched because they, they heard feedback and heard the blowback and all that stuff. But but a lot of it was always going to happen, like the agent rule, returning, um, being able to return to college if you go undrafted, uh, having a stricter punishment set up, um, allowing for other organizations outside of the NCAA, like the FBI or whomever, of an established, respected organization, if it conducts an investigation, the NCAA can now use that information in its own investigation to help expedite cases. We can get to that in just a second, but the point I'm making here, Paris, is this. I was told by a number of sources that that were heavily involved in this process over the course of many, many months that an ongoing dialogue with this was, we know... That no matter what we do with some of these rules, the coaching fraternity is going to hate it. And even some coaches involved in that who hated it but basically knew they had no choice but to go along with it because Emmert said it had to be, then the commission said it had to be, and Condi Rice said it had to be. They said, we know this is going to happen, but we have to push it forth anyway. But when they got to July and with media coverage and, I was told, with people actually going to the events, um, and when my story came out last week that detailed some of the changes – There was a last minute, what the hell is going on here? We said we weren't going to change this stuff, and now you're making us actually change it. This is on behalf of some of the coaches. Well, if this was going to be the case to begin with, we would have pushed for some of this stuff from the get-go. So it's been interesting behind the scenes to see how many opinions have been put out there for how many different kinds of plans and how the coaches are frustrated that it took until July for people to get on the road to these events, for the media to, to interview coaches, to write its stories, to see this last minute change. I do very much believe that there was a pivot um, with a few things and it's for the betterment of the sport parish. But I, I tell you what, like if, if they hadn't gone, if you didn't have working group representatives go on the road and if you didn't have, uh, a certain select number of pieces and the news leak from Goodman in early July about that template. I think we would be having a different discussion today about the details of some of this stuff. Well, that's the thing. Like they, they really accomplished nothing today, but it could have been actually been worse. Like that, that, you know, I, I do genuinely believe uh, if not for the backlash from my column and other people's point of views at peach jam, that this would have been worse. But again, I'll just circle back to, to my largest point. What did you accomplish here? What did you really get done? It's not all bad. Like, there's nothing independently wrong with giving players the option to qualify for it to go back to school if they're undrafted. Like, that's not a bad thing. I, 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 I think they didn't do it right, but there's certainly nothing wrong with that. It's better to have the option if you qualify for it than to not have the option. Um, it's better to be allowed to speak to an agent than to not be allowed to, to have that relationship in that way. Um, in a in an above the board uh, 
manner, but it's not going to bring everything above the board. Like, this, this isn't all useless, but it, it doesn't really address anything that anybody who understands the sport identifies as a real issue. What, what, what NCAA violation or, or felony exposed by the FBI investigation did the NCAA put a dent in today? What did, what, what, what did they end? What did they solve? What did they minimize? And I would say absolutely nothing. And they did it at the expense of the recruiting calendar in some places, which is going to um, uh, diminish opportunities for, for young people to be seen by Division I college basketball coaches. We've talked about the recruiting calendar before. We don't need to spend much time on that. But as I detailed, Mike Dom is a... Uh, All-American at South Dakota State. He's going to finish his career, if healthy, as one of the top 10 scorers in the history of Division I college basketball. And if not for the final week of July being the massive events in Las Vegas, he would have never been offered a Division I scholarship. Never. He he would have started his career at NAIA or Division II or somewhere. Uh, th- this This calendar that they are going to adopt eliminates the possibility of the Mike Dom story. That's undeniable. That's wrong. So they messed that up as well. And I guess I'll just leave it with this. Jay Billis chimed in on Twitter, uh, like most of us did a little while ago, and he said what uh, so many others have said. All of these announcements, it's largely meaningless window dressing. And that's all it is. The NCAA felt compelled to do something so that they could say they'd done something. And they have done something. I guess that's technically true, but they solved nothing. Solved absolutely nothing. Can I can I tag it with one more thing before we get got, got to get out of here and get your response sure. to it? Okay, I wouldn't say nothing because here is here is where I think they hope and expect change for the better to be enacted, and it's through it's bullying. Bullying's not the right word, but it's admonishment through official legislation. So. Strong, much stronger penalties. So you're holding your presidents and chancellors, in theory, accountable, okay? So you're going to ask the people that write the rules for the NCAA, which is literally the presidents and chancellors. They're the ones who ultimately sign off on all the rule changes you see across all these sports, right? You're going to go to those guys and say, listen, if you can't keep your own house in order, your job's going to be on the line. And so that has a trickle-down effect. And within those penalty structures that have been laid out, you've got potential five-year postseason bans for, for programs that's longer than we've ever seen before. You've got potential suspensions on head coaches that could last more than an entire season. You've got potential lifetime show causes for those who are shown to uh, flagrantly violate the rules uh, that have been standing and the ones that have been implemented. These are effective immediately. And I have to bring back to, to the listenership a reminder that like stuff like that's what's happening with the Urban Meyer case at Ohio State that would technically fall under purview with these rules. So it's not just college basketball. So Parrish, I, I lay that before you to say if they can with this language, make coaches be proactive as best as they possibly can. Maybe they actually do change something here. It's the mere threat of it. They are legitimately strong penalties. Again, they will have to go through the process. We actually have to see those scalps on the wall. But would you agree that that's actually positive movement and could affect some sort of change? On some level, sure. But again, um, as I said earlier, tell me about the new rules or, pun- or possible punishments in the history of the NCAA that made coaches or people 
who are willing to cross that line say, oh, can't do it anymore. Like, it's just never really actually existed. Here's the truth. Um, It's always been true, but it's especially true today, and here's why. Because the coaching contracts are, are like, bigger than they've ever been. You can set your family up by life by just getting a Power 5 job once, even if you never get it to year five. Uh, But if you do start getting contract extensions, you're talking about 2.5 million, 2.8 million, 3.2 million. My point being this, um, the possible reward to cheating, if you're somebody who is willing to do it, has forever, and still will, outweigh the the risk of getting caught for two reasons. Um, A, it's still hard to get caught. You know, like, what percentage of of, of big time, what percentage of guys who buy players or assistants who buy players do you think actually get caught? It's a low number. Mm-hmm. It, it's, 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 it's the same reason, and this is a little bit apples to oranges, but you'll get the point. Um, so many people, beyond just the central fact of you're making a poor decision, but so many people will go to a bar and then get in their car. They know that if they get caught, they're going to get hit with a DUI. But they also know this, they're probably not going to get caught. Most people who drink and drive do not get caught and do not have a wreck. And it, that, that fact leads to people saying, yeah, I know if I get caught doing this, then I'm in trouble. But I'm probably not, the odds of me getting caught are minimal. I'm, I'm three miles from my house. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the speed limit. I don't have a taillight out. I'm probably not going to get caught. Most cheaters in college athletics do not get caught. But if you cheat and get good, it can it can produce for you millions and millions of dollars. And yes, I guess the the um, the idea of harsher penalties and your career being over could um, maybe make somebody think twice or hesitate. But the guys in the sport who are willing to do this um, are still, when it gets time to do it, going to be willing to do. It. Likely true. You can't you can't eliminate all this from happening. We've got our Candid Coaches series coming later this month, and that's just you know a chorus from the coaches. Almost everyone, like you cannot stop this. This whole third party idea, the NCAA never will be able to stop it. And while they're trying to employ subpoena power within its own bubble, you can't do that with people not affiliated with the NCAA. And so this is going to be something that is continually an issue. And they're just going to try and put up walls and legislation as best they can as scare tactics to say, listen, presidents, chandler, chancellors, coaches, you need to be as proactive as possible because if we catch you, we don't, we don't give a damn. You're going to be held accountable for it. Whether that's fair or not is up for uh, even more debate. And I've heard from a few coaches who hate this idea to begin with um, because there are people within the own NCAA who have done wrong that haven't been held accountable, their bosses and their bosses' bosses overall. So just the start of this, there's plenty more we can get to, but uh, obviously the big news of the day, the big news of the week in college basketball and college athletics. This is, uh, again, just to remind listeners, this is college basketball focused, but as it pertains to a lot of the legislation with punishments and investigations. I mean, college football has a ton of investigations of significance annually. This will apply to that as well. I think uh, if you're a fan of both college hoops and college football, you'll see some rule changes in that sport coming within the year as well. I'll leave you with something I've said over and over again, literally for years now. If you are serious about fixing the problem, solving the issues within college basketball, you have to start with addressing the flawed model of amateurism. 
Anything short of that, um, it's just window dressing. Anything short of that, you're not really accomplishing anything. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. And remember to please subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. That's all we ask in return for us doing this as often as we do it. We will talk to you again next week at the latest. Till then, take care.